Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. As always, if you have questions, comments, or if you'd like to make a suggestion, please do so by writing to me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. You're also welcome to reply to the question in the episode description with whatever question, comment, or suggestion you may have. And without further delay, I give you H.K. Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine, Chapter 14. summer came. Ellis Avenue had a summer program, so I didn't need to worry about what to do with Catherine. The program offered African ballet and hip-hop dance, track and basketball teams. The best part of it was that it only cost $50 a month. It included breakfast, lunch, and a snack. I asked why the program was so cheap, because 92% of the students were classified disadvantaged and about 5% were considered homeless. They understand most of their students couldn't afford to pay much. Besides, the school was reimbursed for breakfast and lunch under the Title I program. Title I is a program that provides financial assistance to schools with a high number of low-income and disadvantaged families. Before I could blink, summer was over and school started. It seemed unreal how fast time was moving. Catherine's 11th birthday was coming. She wanted to have a party with her friends. I told her we didn't have a lot of money, but we could do something. Catherine had become close to these children, and I wanted her to have fun with them. When she was at Genesis Christian, the children didn't want to invite her to their parties, and they treated her badly. But now... She had real friends, and I wanted her to be able to enjoy them. I thought having a party with them would also give me a chance to meet the parents I hadn't met. I talked to a few parents to get some suggestions about what I should do for Catherine's party. I got all kinds of suggestions, but one in particular stood out. Mrs. Rogers was the parent of one of Catherine's new friends, Jackie. She suggested I have a skating party. It was about $7 per person, and I wouldn't need to buy any food because it was included in the cost of each ticket. Mrs. Rogers had used the skating rink for Jackie's party. Everyone at the school used them for their parties, and the school used them for some of their fundraisers. Later that week, I called the skating rink and scheduled the party. I could bring all I needed to bring was a cake for Catherine. The young lady said I had a choice of party packages from the deluxe at $20 per person to the economy at $7 per person. The best choice was the classic at $10 per person. It included pizza and all the soft drinks you could drink. I told her I wanted the $10 package. To book the party, I had to make a deposit of 50% or pay for at least five children, which was fine with me. After making the arrangements, I called Mrs. Rogers to let her know I'd scheduled the party and I wanted her help to create the invitations. She said the other parents who had parties did invitations by word of mouth. If I wanted, the office staff could, could email the student's parents in her class if that was okay with me. Mrs. Rogers suggested I ask the parents to pay for their children because most parents would be glad to do so. I asked about the children who might not have $10. She said they wouldn't be able to come or I would have to pay for them. The best way to go about it was to find out who was going. Then I'd have a better idea of how much it was going to cost. I agreed with Mrs. Rogers. I asked Catherine who she wanted to invite to her party. Of course, she wanted to invite everybody. Catherine explained she didn't think it was fair to pick and choose. That's what the children had done to her at her other school. I totally understood, but I also knew we were on a budget. Then I said to myself, 
I didn't like what was done to her before. I'm not going to do that to these children. Besides, they have much less money and they are far nicer than the children at Genesis Christian School. I told Catherine to invite all the children in her class. There were 25 children in Catherine's class. The cost would be about $250 if everybody came. I called the skating rink and told them I would have more than five children, but I wasn't exactly, exactly sure how many were going to come. They said not to worry, I could pay per person. They would take account as Catherine guests came in. I asked the employee, how would they know which children were coming for Catherine's party? When the children come, they would tell the clerk at the desk whose party they were attending. Your guest would receive a colored wristband. After word got out, about 10 children who were not in her class wanted to attend. I talked to Catherine about how many wanted to come. It was a lot and I wasn't sure what to do. I, I didn't want to tell them they couldn't come, but the cost was going up and I wasn't sure I could afford to pay. I talked to Mr. Mason and Mrs. Rogers about my issue. They laughed at first, but they knew I was serious. They suggested we keep Catherine's party open to sixth and seventh graders only. They didn't think it was a good idea to mix the younger students with the older. Keeping it within her age group would also keep the cost down. I let their parents know it was going to cost $10 each. To my surprise, most of them didn't have a problem with it. I thought about the disadvantaged children who couldn't afford it but wanted to go. I had opened Pandora's box and there was nothing I could do to close it. I told their parents just to let me know in advance if their children were going to attend. I didn't want children who couldn't afford to pay to miss out on the fun. I decided I would just pay for everyone who couldn't afford it. When the day of the party arrived, I went to the skating rink to begin to set up. There really wasn't much for me to do because the rink supplied everything except the cake. As I expected, a lot of children showed up. Even though Catherine hadn't invited them, some eighth graders showed up. The good thing was a lot of the parents paid. There were a few who came who didn't have money, but I wasn't worried about it. All that mattered to me was that Catherine was happy. So I figured, as the saying goes, it is what it is. When the party was ending, an employee brought me the bill. I wasn't looking forward to seeing how much the final bill would be, but I knew I had to pay. When the young lady handed me the bill and I looked at it, I was shocked. It was only $159. I said, there must be a mistake. I know I must owe way more than that. She told me, the manager told me to just charge you this much. Why? I asked. She said, I don't know, but don't worry about it. I asked to speak to the manager and she said she would go get her. The manager came out to talk to me and I asked her why I hadn't been charged a full amount. She responded, because you had some of the best behaved children I've ever seen. The children from Catherine's new school were very well behaved, something I hadn't expected to see from public school children. That further proved that not all public schools were bad and there were a lot of great public schools. After the party, Catherine had a fan club. She was becoming one of the popular students. She loved it, and it didn't affect her grades or her behavior. Her grades stayed at an A average. Catherine soon became so popular that a few of her friends' mothers regularly asked if Catherine could spend the night with their daughters. It was really special because her confidence was growing, and she wasn't shy and closed off anymore. 
Confidence in a preteen and teen is very important to their success. The change in Catherine showed me that sometimes as parents, we think our our child may have a problem like ADHD or some other kind of medical issue. Sometimes it isn't anything like that at all. Sometimes they just need a change in their atmosphere. Children need positive attention, good friends, and praise from their parents to really thrive. Everything was going well, even though I didn't have a job. Catherine was running track and doing well at it, and I was volunteering at the school. Christmas and New Year's had come and gone. Then my birthday came. I was turning 51, and I was really starting to feel old. I was trying not to feel depressed, but that was unavoidable. To try to cheer myself up, I decided to buy myself a gift. I didn't know what I wanted, so I went to the shoe store. When I got there, I realized Catherine needed new running shoes, so I bought her a pair of white Reeboks. I didn't get anything for myself, but that's how life usually worked anyway. I always placed Catherine's needs ahead of mine. When I picked her up from school, I told her I bought her some new shoes. Why? she asked. It's your birthday and you were supposed to buy something for you. I chuckled and said, it's okay. You needed them. You're running track now. When we got home, I showed them to her. I don't like those, she said. They look like boy shoes. I laughed and said, no, they don't. Yes, they do, she insisted. I didn't argue with her. I told her I would take them back next week. Next week came and before Catherine and I left that day, I grabbed the shoes so I could return them. Catherine and I got into the car. After I dropped her off at school, I looked in the back for the receipt, but it wasn't there. I thought I'd left it on the dresser at home. I went back to see if I could find it. When I got there, it wasn't on the dresser. I looked everywhere in the dirty clothes and anywhere else I could think of. I didn't see it anywhere. The house was a mess, so I sat on the bed and started to think about what I'd done with the receipt. It came to me that I hadn't looked in the trash. When I dumped the trash on the floor, a box fell out. It popped open and its contents spilled out on the floor. Laying there, strewn in the trash, were three pairs of Catherine's underwear. The underwear was stained brown. It took me a minute to figure out what it was. It was dried blood. I was overwhelmed. I said, it's happened. She's gotten her period. Catherine. I called out but realized she wasn't home. I was scared, nervous, and confused. I was stunned and I just didn't know what to do. It just seemed too early for her to be starting her period. She just turned 11 years old. I sat there for a while wondering what I was going to say to her. I'd known this day was coming, but I'd expected her to tell me when it happened. I never thought she would hide it from me. Her doctor and I had this talk about her doctor and I had a talk with her about this and Catherine said she would tell me when it started one good thing was the blood was old so I assumed her cycle was over for the month but I knew I needed to get ready for the next month and every month after that after thinking for a while I went to CVS and purchased a package of pads I knew the ones to get because I'd picked them up for Vanessa before I remembered Vanessa had always bought the ones with wings I called Mother Elaine and told her what happened. I asked her, how do I tell her that I know what she's going through and that it's okay? Mother Elaine said, you just tell her. If you really can't do it, bring Catherine to my house and I'll talk to her. Thanks, I said, but I think I need to try first. If it doesn't work, then I'll bring Catherine over. That's a good idea, Mother Elaine said. I'll wait to hear from you, but I think trying to talk to her about it yourself would be the best for your relationship. 
I wasn't sure what to do because I didn't want to ruin her happiness. I didn't want to talk to her about it right at that moment, but I knew I had to do it soon. I thought I had time. It was going to be hard because I knew this conversation was one that mothers and daughters usually shared, but it was on me. I felt like talking to her about it on my own would help to continue building our relationship as father, as, as a father and daughter team. I wanted Catherine to know she could count on me for anything, no matter what it was. As I sat in my car, I thought about what Mother Elaine said earlier that day. She told me some little girls think it's a bad thing to have a period and others think they're dying. They have all kinds of emotions and thoughts. Whatever you do or say, be sure to let her know it's normal and she's fine and that she hasn't done anything wrong. Find out if she has any pain during her period. Show her that you're concerned. Then most importantly, let her know how much you love her. Be sure to give her a big hug and smile. I waited until Saturday to talk with Catherine. That way I had plenty of time to figure out what I was going to say. I could take her to get ice cream or something to eat. I didn't know how to start the conversation. I, I asked her how she was doing. I started with, you know, the other day, I couldn't find the receipt for the shoes. Do you know where it was? No, she replied. I looked in the trash, I began. As soon as I said that, she got the sad look on her face. I could tell she knew. I knew what happened. So I asked her, what's wrong, Catherine? I was scared to tell you, she said. Did you get your period? I asked. Catherine started crying and nodded her head. Yes, it's okay. I know about it. I found the underwear you threw in the trash. Don't you remember the doctor talked to you about this? You were supposed to tell me when it happened so I could, I could take you to see her. You didn't do anything wrong. You don't have to cry anymore. This just means you're becoming a big girl and you have more responsibilities. Catherine soon stopped crying. I told her I was going to show her what to do next time. I got the package of pads I'd purchased a few days before and a new pair of her underwear. Then when we read the instructions on the side of the package on how to place them in her underwear, I explained that her period was going to happen once every month for many years, and I didn't know how many years. I had her to put a pad in the underwear so she would know what to do next time. I let Catherine know it was important to make sure she showered really well every day when she was on her period. I explained that there would be a bad smell if she didn't shower every day. I informed her when she changed her pads at school or home not to put the used ones in the toilet. I said to always wrap them in toilet paper or a small plastic bag and put them in the trash. If you put them in the toilet, it could clog up the toilet and it would run over and make a huge mess. After she tried putting the pads in her underwear a few times, she smiled and said, I'm becoming a young lady. And you're going to tell me next time it happens? I asked. Yes, she said with a big smile. Your mother would be so proud of you. She's looking down on you. We're going to need to make an appointment with your doctor to let her know what happened, okay? The conversation wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. In fact, it was pretty easy and it helped her and... And it helped make my relationship with my daughter stronger than ever before.
Catherine was doing well. She had all A's and her standardized test scores were in the 95th percentile. I couldn't have been happier. The school had started a program called Homework Matters. It was sponsored by a local bank and a nonprofit education organization. It was designed to get children interested in homework. Every student who finished 30 hours of online homework in 30 days would get to keep a new digital tablet. Only 6th, 7th, and 8th graders were eligible. When I stopped by the school to pick Catherine up, I asked her if she wanted to sign up. She said no because she had good grades and it was for students who didn't have good grades. As we were leaving, we saw Principal Mason and he asked Catherine why she wasn't signing up for the program. She told him the same thing she told me. He said that wasn't true. The program was for all students in 6th, 7th, and 8th grades. He took her by the hand and brought her to the front of the line and signed her up for the program. She was very happy. It was a chance for her to win a free tablet. I said to myself, she'll do the 30 hours in a couple of weeks. Catherine likes an academic challenge and this is a good one. Just as I thought Catherine, just as I thought Catherine would, she finished all the homework hours in a little over two weeks. A couple other students did it in under 30 days as well. The school year was coming to an end and the tablets were to be given to students who'd earned them at an award ceremony. During the ceremony, a representative from the bank presented the awards with a little surprise. There was an additional prize along with the tablets. The student who had done the most hours of online work was given a was given a $150 Visa card along with the tablet. Catherine was screaming because she'd won first place. Neither of us could believe it. The second place student got a $100 gift card and the third place got a $75 gift card. I asked Catherine, are you glad you signed up now? She screamed, yes, yes, yes. I laughed. I, I didn't know if I'd ever seen her this happy. I was just as thrilled as she was. I thought to myself, I must be doing something right. Summer was coming and Catherine was going into seventh grade. I knew it was time to start looking into high schools. There were very few good high schools in Chicago, and the best were difficult to get into. I remember Diane and I talked about the selective enrollment process, and I knew it was time to get started. Even though Catherine was only going to the seventh grade, I couldn't wait any longer to start the process. Most of the parents in her class had the same idea as I did, getting their child into a selective enrollment high school. Most didn't know what to do. At the next parents meeting, I suggested we start a parent-student study group because some of the entry exam and the state standardized exam had information that wasn't being taught in their everyday classes. I was the president of the parent council and I knew I would be the one to obtain the information. It wasn't that hard. I checked Google for what I was looking for and it popped up. I emailed the parents to let them know what I'd found. I asked them what they thought. I got many different answers, but the biggest question was, how are we going to pay for the necessary materials? I suggested we could pitch in and share books. The parents liked that idea, but getting the money from them was quite another story. I discovered that entry into a selective enrollment high school was based on the following. One, a child's final seventh grade report card. This was worth up to 300 points. The standardized test scores. This was worth up to another 300 points. 
Number three, the entry exam. This was worth up to the last 300 points for a possible total of 900 points. After finding the required scores for each of the best schools, I shared the information with the rest of the parents. I started looking for testing services just in case the parents decided not to create the study group. I found a couple of groups, Selective High School Testing and Bright Young Minds. I called and talked with their offices, and they explained to me that about 50% of their clients got into top schools. It sounded really good, but the cost was $400 per student. For me, that was a lot, and I knew the other parents would think the same thing. However, I thought if that's all I had to spend was $400 to get Catherine in an elite high school, then why not spend it? It's worth it. When I took the information back to the other parents, like I'd expected, they said the cost was too much, but I decided to register Catherine anyway. Catherine has all A's, so I wasn't worried about the grades. The standardized test scores were the second phase of the entry process. Some of that information was taught in Catherine's school, so I wasn't too concerned. Besides, she always scored in the 90 or better percentile. The parents never made up their minds about the study group, so I just stayed focused on Catherine. Things were going smoothly, and at the end of the and and at the end and the end of the third quarter had come. At report card pickup, I ran into Mr. Mason. He was really excited for some reason. I asked him, "Did you win the lottery?" He replied, "No, but a few of the students may have hit the high school lottery." What do you mean? I asked. He told me Catherine scored in the nine in the 99th percentile on the reading portion of the state standardized test. She was the only student to score that high on the reading portion. I was thrilled. I told him I knew she was smart, but the 99th percentile? Wow. Mr. Mason replied, that's basically a perfect score. It puts her in the top 1% of 7th graders in the nation. It means she's reading on the 12th grade level. After hearing that, I was very, very, very happy, to say the least. Chapter 15. When the fourth quarter started, I was very excited about the possibilities of where Catherine would go to high school. She'd made so many friends and she'd become very good at running track. After the first week of the fourth quarter, Catherine wanted to go to a classmate's birthday party. I didn't have a problem with it. She was doing well, and I knew the young lady and her parents. Besides, most of the members of the track team would be there. Catherine's best friend, Katrina, asked if she could go with us when I took Catherine to the party. I asked to speak to her mother. Katrina's mother, Shirley, was like a sister. We babysat for each other all the time. Shirley, she said it was fine, and she would drop Katrina off early because she had to go to work. Shirley dropped Katrina off and rushed off to work. Katrina ran into Catherine's room, and like teenagers, they started talking and laughing. Katrina felt at home when she was at our house. She became like another daughter. She wanted everything the way she wanted it. She reminded me of a little queen. So I started calling her Queenity. That was just a name I gave her. In reality, she was a good child. When we left for the party, Catherine and Katrina were walking a few steps in front of me, and boy, th- were they laughing. I was trying to find out what was so funny. I started to ask a couple of times, but I said to myself, I'll, I'll just let them have their fun. I figured I'd find out later. When we got to the bus, when we got off the bus, I asked them, is there something you guys want to tell me? Of course, they started laughing. Then Katrina said, Catherine has something to tell you. What? I asked. Katrina said, Catherine should be the one to tell you. I was thinking to myself, what is it? 
When she told me what it was, I wasn't ready for it. Katrina said, I was thinking to myself, what is it? When she told me what it was, I wasn't ready for it. Catherine said, Daddy, I have a boyfriend. Stunned, I had no clue how to respond. This was one of those things I just wasn't ready for. I managed to ask, when did this happen? I've been talking to him for a couple of weeks, she replied. I asked, have you kissed him? No, she said. Is he coming to the party? I asked. Again, she said, no. With a sigh of relief, I said, good, don't kiss him. We'll talk about this later. We got off the bus and walked to the party. After knocking on the door, the girl's mother, Miss Kina, answered and let us in. Catherine and Katrina ran off to their friends. Mrs. Kina asked, do you want something to eat or drink? No, I said, but maybe you can help me with something else. The girl's mother was a teacher at the school, so I assumed she knew all the school gossip. Do you know anything about Catherine having a boyfriend? Everybody knows, she replied. Well, I didn't know, I replied. What do you know about him? Mrs. Kina said, I don't know him very well, but I think you should talk to Catherine about this. Then she said, Mr. Fitzgerald, you should have known sooner or later this was going to happen. Are you mad? No, I'm shocked and I don't know how to handle it. She responded, this is a natural course of life. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy. I guess you're right, but it seems too early. Mrs. Kina replied, just just talk to her about it. You don't have anything to worry about. Catherine is a very good girl and, and focused on what she wants. I'm sure she's not going to let this boy go too far. Also, all the teachers at the school are watching. They won't let anything happen. I left, headed home. On the way, I got off the bus and went to the park. I sat and thought about what was going on. I even found myself talking to Vanessa. I actually thought she answered me back. I asked her, what am I going to do? Our little girl has a boyfriend. It sounded to me like Vanessa said the same thing Mrs. Kina said. I tried not to worry, but like always, I thought the worst. I really just wanted to know what to say to Catherine. I was scared. A boyfriend? What do I do? After sitting a while, I got on the bus, went home, and waited for Shirley to bring Catherine home. I was going to fix dinner, but I figured Catherine wouldn't be hungry because there was a lot of food at the party. When Catherine got home, I told her we needed to talk about this boyfriend. She was smiling, and I didn't want to tell her to stop talking to this young man, and I didn't tell her she couldn't have a boyfriend. I just asked about him. She told me his name was David. He was 14 and in, and in the 8th grade. I said to myself, I'm going to need to look into who this child is. I told her, okay, you can talk to him, but there are rules. Catherine asked, what are the rules, Daddy? I could see she, she wanted me to be happy for her, and I was, but I needed, to I needed her to understand what's at stake. I told her the rules. He can't kiss you because kissing can cause whooping cough. You don't want to get sick, do you? No, she said. Then I told her, he can't touch your boobies. Next, he can't touch your booty. Last, you can't hold hands with him unless at least five months have passed. This is what he can do. He can carry your books to class, give you the best part of his lunch. He has to open doors for you and let you through first, and you can talk to him for five minutes a day on the phone. I was hoping she would learn how a man should respect a woman. If I told you she couldn't have a boyfriend, she probably would have asked why. Then I would have had to explain. 
Are the rules okay with you? I asked. She smiled and said yes. I want to meet this young man soon, I told her. Okay, she said. On Monday, I took Catherine to school. After dropping her off, I went to talk with the security guard, Mr. Kellogg. He knew everything about every child and every parent in the school. I knew if I wanted information about someone, Mr. Kellogg was the man to talk to. I asked him if he knew David. He started laughing and said, I see you found out. I guess I was the only person who didn't know, I responded. Catherine just told me about him. Mr. Kellogg said, Catherine must really trust you. Why? I asked. Anytime a young girl comes to her father and tells him or asks him for permission to have a boyfriend, then the two of you have a very special relationship, he said. How old is she? He asked. Twelve, I answered. Most girls that age hide boys from their father. But for her to come to you, that's special. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. It seems the two of you can talk about anything. You're a great father. You should teach classes on how to raise a daughter. I laughed and jokingly said, you're crazy. Mr. Kellogg told me about David. He said he thought the boy had some issues and I should keep an eye on him. He also suggested not to rush to judgment about what he'd said, but to judge David for yourself. I decided to keep a close eye on David and wait to introduce myself. Besides, I wanted to see how Catherine would handle things if something went wrong. To me, this was just puppy love, but I remembered what I thought about girls when I was 14. After talking to Mr. Kellogg and a few other people, I decided I'd wait until report card pickup to talk to David. That would give me time to find out more about him, like what his grades were and his plans for high school. When time came for report card pickup, I finally approached him. When we met, I realized I had seen him before. He wasn't the kind of kid I thought Catherine would like, but who knows? We choose people for different reasons. He was much shorter than she, and he seemed nervous. Maybe he was nervous because of me. I talked to him about five minutes and asked him about his parents. He said his father was coming to report card pickup around lunchtime. He seemed like he'd be a cool kid, but I wanted to meet his father before I started judging him. I always want to know the parents of Catherine's friends, where they live and what they do. This time, however, was a little different because Catherine said this boy was her boyfriend. I interpreted this to mean they would eventually get close to each other. Maybe they already had... And I just didn't know. I intended to put more effort into getting to know David and his family. I didn't mind Catherine having a boyfriend, but not someone who would beat her or treat her like trash. I felt like he would need good grades just as good as hers. I knew that was hoping for a lot, but most fathers have very high standards when it comes to their daughters. Also, we lived in Chicago. I didn't want her anywhere near a gangbanger or someone who thought he was a gangbanger. I was in overprotective mode. I knew this was puppy love, but puppy love can lead to all kinds of trouble, and I had to be cautious. Around one o'clock that afternoon, I was walking towards Catherine's class, and I passed Mrs. Kramer's classroom. She was one of Catherine's teachers. I went in to say hi and to ask her about David. Mrs. Kramer said, I, can, I can't tell you his grades, but they are nowhere near as good as hers, and when I say nowhere near, I really mean nowhere near. 
I figured that when I first talked to him, I said, but I'm trying to keep an open mind about this. She laughed at me and said, you know, you don't want that boy with your daughter. You're right, I told her. However, I don't want to give Catherine the impression that I don't want her to have a boyfriend. And most important, I don't want to run. And I, More importantly, I don't want to run her to him. You don't have to worry, Mrs. Kramer said. I'm sure it won't last more than a couple months. As I was leaving, I saw David in his teacher's classroom with his father. My first thought was, the child can't be too bad if his father comes to report card pickup, but you never know. I went on to Catherine's class to get her report card. I wasn't concerned at all because I already knew what her grades were, but the school keeps a record of which parents come to events like this, and also I wanted the official results of her standardized test scores and the report card. I knew we were going to need them soon. When I went downstairs to find Catherine so we could leave, I saw she was talking to David. I asked, was that your father with you? Yes, he replied. About that time, David's father walked over. There was something about him I immediately disliked, but that might have been because I didn't want this boy with my daughter. I didn't want Catherine getting so caught up with David that she'd forget about her grades and her goals. I also knew a lot of children, preteens and teens, don't realize how fast things can get out of hand. The last thing I wanted was for her to have sex with this boy. David's father introduced himself as Mr. Hitchens. He was nice and respectful. We talked about what he did for a living. He said he'd just moved back to Chicago from New Orleans. He said he hadn't been in in David's life for a few years because he had been working out of state, but that he was back to stay and would be spending lots of time with him. I saw red flags about this whole thing. I felt like he didn't know his son because he hadn't been in his life. I really wanted to tell Catherine this wasn't for her. But I calmed down and started to ask a few more questions. My first question was, so where's David planning on going to high school? David answered the question, I don't know, but I'm thinking about young college prep. I said, that's a huge goal. You need about 1,875 points to get in there. What are your test scores? I don't know, he said. I had an idea of what they were because his report card pickup, because it was report card pickup and the teachers were passing out the scores and grades. I figured out just about what his grades were and test scores were because he claimed he didn't know. Anytime a child keeps saying, I don't know, they're hiding something or they're ashamed. It didn't matter. Mrs. Kramer had already given me an idea. I know he was trying to impress me. I kind of understood, but when we're talking about my daughter, then there's no excuse for not answering truthfully. I said to myself, this this isn't cool and I'm not impressed. I started thinking, what else is he hiding? Before I could say anything, his father stopped me and said, I know you're trying to see if my son is good enough for your daughter. No, not really, I said. I was just curious what his plans are for high school. As for Catherine, she'll be going to J. William College Prep, one of the top 100 high schools in the country. Catherine has all A's and a perfect standardized reading score, along with the 95th percentile on the math score. Mr. Hitchens began to tell me how good his son was and how well-behaved he was. I was thinking to myself, that's not what I've been told but I just kept listening. I was annoyed, but I wanted to be respectful. The guy wanted me to think his son was some kind of saint. I had already done my homework, and most importantly, I was a 14-year-old boy once, and and I knew about things when it came to girls. 
I didn't say anything until Mr. Hitchens said he'd heard a lot about Catherine and he thought she and David were a good couple and he approved of the relationship. He then said, I can vouch for my son. He came from good stock. That was the wrong thing to say. In a firm but nice voice. In a firm but nice way, I told him and his son, first of all, my daughter is too young for a relationship. Also, this is nothing more than a friendship and will be nothing more than that. I don't approve of anything more than than them talking at school for five minutes a day. Catherine is 12 years old and your son is 14 and neither one of them has a clue about relationships. Then I firmly said, if anything, your son needs to work on getting into high school. He doesn't seem to know where he's going. Unlike you and your son, we have a plan and we know what we're going to do. David and Catherine appeared disappointed, but I didn't care. I allowed her to keep talking to him, but reminding her of the rules. I said to myself, how can you say that he comes from good stock when you haven't been in his life the last six or seven years? You don't know your son. This is Chicago. I figured I had more information about his son's behavior than he did. My thinking was this guy wanted to impress me and thought I would be happy to have my daughter with his son. If that was his thinking, he was very wrong. The truth was, I really didn't want Catherine having a boyfriend until she was at least 16. This guy had me really upset. I told him we had to go, and I would talk to him some other time. Mr. Hitchens then offered me his phone number. At first, I started not to take it, but then I thought I might need it one day. School closed. Summer came, and Catherine was going into the eighth grade. I didn't know what I was going to have her do for the summer but the principal told me about the digital youth program. It was a program for young girls that focused on digital technology. This program was designed to get girls interested in coding and other information technology. I signed Catherine up for the program because we didn't have many other options, and I thought it was a good way to get her prepared for high school. A couple days after I got Catherine registered, she told me, She told her friends what she was going to be doing for the summer, and several of them registered for the program as well. Because Catherine was growing up, and I knew within a year she would be catching the bus to school, I started teaching her and Katrina how to take the bus to the digital youth program. Everything Catherine did, Katrina did. They were like twin sisters. After the first week of the program, two other parents found out Catherine was learning to take the bus. They wanted to know if they could leave their daughters at my house in the morning so they could learn to catch the bus also. I told them, sure. Besides, it was a good idea for them to ride the bus as a group. I hadn't heard much about Catherine's boyfriend, but I hadn't forgotten about him either. One day, when she got home from the program, for for some reason, I asked her, how's David doing? She replied, good and changed the subject. I noticed she seemed a little nervous. I didn't want to scare her, but I asked, is everything okay with him? She said, yes, I talk to him every day. I didn't think about it much, but I was still curious. In my mind, I thought something might be wrong, but I just didn't know what. A few days later, I asked her about David. She came to me and implied one of her friends was having a problem and she didn't know how to help her. I asked her, what's the issue? Catherine told me she couldn't tell me because she had promised she wouldn't tell anyone. I wanted to help her, but I couldn't unless she told me what was going on. She eventually said one of her friends was having a problem with whether or not she should have sex with her boyfriend. I said, Catherine, you know how I feel about that. You and I have talked, and there are too many risks involved for teens having sex. 
Catherine, if your friend is feeling pressured, she needs to tell him she has goals that she wants to reach. Then she should tell him that having sex might cause problems she just doesn't want to risk. Tell your friend that whatever she does, not to fall for the lies like you won't get pregnant on the first time or that he'll use a condom. Tell her not to fall for any of his excuses. Also, tell her to be sure not to go anywhere alone with him. If he is pushing her that much, then he might try to take it from her. Catherine said, okay, I'll let her know. I then asked, can you tell me who she is? Catherine said, no. Okay. I said, and I let it go. Later that night, my phone rang around 10.30. I was a little concerned because no one calls me late at night. I looked at the caller ID. It was my younger sister, Casey. Casey never calls me, so I thought something was wrong. I answered right away, and I asked her, what's wrong? Who died? She replied, no one died, but they want to talk to you. Who wants to talk to me? I asked. Your sister-in-law, Farah. What does she want? I asked. I haven't heard from them in about four years. I'd hope they were going to leave us alone. Casey said, I think they feel guilty about not seeing Catherine. Well, tell Farah to get on a plane or drive 800 miles, I said. Casey asked, will you just keep an open mind? Just call them and see what they want. I said to myself, they can go to hell. Casey, I said, you don't have a clue what I went through with them. Give her my number and I'll think about answering the phone if and when she calls. Our call lasted a few more minutes, and after I hung up, I walked past Catherine's bedroom and noticed her phone was buzzing. I said to myself, who's calling her this late? I picked up the phone and saw it was her friend, Abby. I answered. Abby was crying. What's wrong? I asked. I just need to talk to Catherine, she said. Okay, she's asleep, but I'll, I'll wake her up. I gave Catherine the phone and left the room. After Catherine got off the off the phone, I asked her what was going on. She explained Abby was having a problem with her mother and she needed someone to talk to. I wanted to know what was going on because I didn't want Catherine to get in the middle of something that might cost her later on, or if someone was in trouble, we should call the police. She said nothing was happening. I didn't want to pry. I figured she would tell me if something was really wrong. The next morning, Catherine's friends got to the house early and ate breakfast with us. After I talked to them about sharing information with their parents and not being afraid to ask their parents for help, we left. I had this talk with them because I was worried about Abby. Plus, Catherine had told me that one of her friends was being pushed to have sex. While we walked to the bus stop, Catherine, Katrina, and Ashley were talking about a boy. I was a few feet behind them, and I wasn't trying to listen, but Ashley was loud and didn't know how to whisper. I heard her tell Catherine, "'Don't let your father see that message.'" What message? I asked. Catherine tried to erase it, but I got the phone away from her and looked. I was floored by what I read. David had been pressing her for sex and had threatened to kill her and me. Now I knew who this friend was that was being pressured for sex. It was Catherine. I asked Catherine, why didn't you tell me about this? She said, I was scared you'd be mad at me. I told her, I'm not mad at you, but I'm upset that you didn't come to me when this started. We talked for a few minutes before the bus came. I took her phone and looked at the messages and noticed he had started to push her for sex almost from the beginning of their friendship. 
As I was scrolling through the messages, I saw the message her friend Ashley hadn't wanted me to see. It was a text with it was a text of a picture of a heart with a knife through it and in all caps, I will kill you and your father. I called David's number. He didn't answer. I left a message telling him to stay away from Catherine and to never ever call her again. At first, I thought that would be enough, but a couple days later, Catherine told me David had been following her and spying on her using social media. She said she didn't want to get in trouble, but she was scared. I called a friend of mine who was a police officer. I showed him the messages and explained to him what David had been doing to Catherine. He informed me that David had committed a felony, stalking and threatening to kill someone. We needed to file an official complaint. He said, it's illegal to threaten to kill somebody. I want to talk to his parents before I file a complaint. I didn't want to ruin the boy's future by having him put in jail. I talked to David's father before, and I thought he would listen to me and keep his son away from Catherine. My friend agreed and told me I had a year to file, so if talking to his father didn't work, I could still file the complaint. I left, went home, and looked for David's father's number. I couldn't find it, so I called Mr. Mason at the school. When I told him what was going on, he was angry, and at first, he was reluctant to give me David's parents' number. When I sent him the text messages that David had sent Catherine, he was just as upset as I was. Principal Mason asked me to come to his office, and he would give me the number. After I got the number, I waited a day before I called because I was angry and didn't want our conversation to escalate into an argument. I had Catherine sit there with me so she would be assured David would not bother her again. Having her sit with me also gave her comfort that I really cared, even though she knew I cared. I called Mr. Hitchens and told him who I was. He immediately said, David told him what you said about him not contacting Catherine anymore. Mr. Hitchens, hold on. There's more here than what you think. He is still doing things that are making her afraid. This discussion turns sour really fast. Mr. Hitchens, David has threatened to kill Catherine and me, and he's following her on social media, talking about her, spying on her, and lying about what he'd done to her. Mr. Hitchens tried to make it seem like it was just what children do. This is not what children do. Your son went... Your son sent my child a picture of a heart with a knife in it. At the bottom of the picture was in capital letters, I will kill you and your father. If this is how your son acts when a girl doesn't want to have sex with him, he might do anything. And you can bet my daughter wants nothing to do with an abusive boyfriend. Mr. Hitchens said, well, I'm not sure David committed any crime. I took the messages to the police and they want me to press charges. The officer said that this was a felony. Well, maybe you need to look at Catherine and what she did, he said. That really pissed me off. I said, look, I've talked to several of her friends and their parents, and they confirmed your son did these things. My daughter doesn't have time for this. Or did you forget she has perfect ISAT scores and all A's? My child is focused on her very bright future. I'm going to send you these messages and you can see for yourself. Mr. Hitchens then calmed down and said he was sorry and we didn't need to worry about his son ever calling Catherine or talking to her again. Well, you and David won't have to worry about me filing a police report if he stops harassing and contacting Catherine. That was the last time we heard from him. David was the last boyfriend Catherine had during junior high. After that nightmare, Catherine began to really focus on getting into the high school she wanted to attend. Chapter 16. School started, it was time for the eighth grade. 
Catherine's last year of junior high. It was time to begin the final push for the selective enrollment schools. We hadn't heard from Mother Elaine in a while, but out of nowhere, she called. She told me she wanted to buy Catherine's graduation dress, and, and there was nothing I could do about it. I burst out laughing, then we talked about how she was doing. We talked for a while. Mother Elaine always made my day. She wanted to come to Catherine's graduation, and she was buying Catherine a gift. I told her it would be disrespectful if we didn't invite her. She laughed and told me how proud she was of Catherine and me. I told her she might not realize it, but to me, she was my mother reincarnated. By the time Catherine's birthday came, we had a list for high school open houses and started the application process. The process was long and complicated. Many parents said it was easier applying for college than applying for selective enrollment high schools. It was tiring, but Catherine and I knew it was worth it. Catherine had already taken a test prep course, but I was afraid it wasn't enough. So I looked for a tutor to give Catherine a little extra help before she would take the entrance exam. She already had over 587 of the possible 900 points. I was pretty confident in her ability to score at least the 250 additional points she needed to get into J. Williams College Prep, the high school I wanted her to attend. Catherine and I, along with a few other parents, got a list of the high school open houses. Two of the parents had decided it would be a good idea if our children went to high school together. They were all so close, and I agreed. Catherine and I, along with her best friend Katrina, decided to tour schools together. Katrina was like my daughter, and her mother worked on the weekend, so it was hard for her to get off to take Katrina to high school's open houses. I told Catherine and Katrina we needed to have a strategy for which schools to visit because some were too far away from home. I thought they needed to attend a school within an hour ride by bus or train. The first school we visited was J. Williams College Prep. In my opinion, it was the only school for Catherine because it was less than 30 minutes by bus. It was in the middle of downtown. I thought it made the most sense because it was safe and easy to get to, and most of the parents and students we knew were interested in that school. We went to the open house and ran into some of the other parents. We were all talking about how beautiful the school was and all the amenities it had, a swimming pool, NBA-sized gym, ballet studio, and many other things. I thought this school would be her choice, but little did I realize I was trying to make a choice for her that she needed to make for herself. Catherine needed to make the final decision on where she wanted to go to high school because she had to live with her choice for the next four years. After we got home, Katrina's mother came to pick her up. She and I talked for a few minutes about the school and how nice it was. I told her we would go see a couple more, but I thought this one was the best choice. Shortly after, my phone rang. Without looking, I answered. It was Farah, my sister-in-law. I was surprised, but I just told Casey to give them my number. All the joy I had from visiting the high school faded when I got that call. I had come to the point where if I'd never heard from them again, it would be fine with me. I guess God didn't feel the same way. The conversation started on a bad note, as always. She brought up that I'd moved and taken Catherine away from her. I said, excuse me, you weren't involved with her anyway. So now, all of a sudden, after three or four years, you want to call me and start an argument? Please, I don't need this from you and your family. And as far as I'm concerned, Catherine and I are fine without you. We've made it this long. 
Ferris stopped and asked, Can we start over? Can I talk to Catherine? If you can respect me as her father, then I'll let you speak to her. If you can't respect me as her father, then I will not let you speak to her ever again. Do you understand me? I replied. She apologized for having this attitude. I said, Farah, you and your family have had an attitude with me for the last 12 years. Then I took a moment, calmed down and said, you have to accept that I'm her father and I'm going to raise her the way I think is right. And I don't want or need your opinion or criticism on anything I'm doing. She agreed and I let her talk to Catherine. As she talked to Catherine, I was a little nervous about what she was telling her. The last thing I wanted was for her to give Catherine some false or misleading information about Catherine's mother and me. I sat and listened. I could hear Farrah telling Catherine how sorry she was for not taking her shopping years before. She told Catherine she would make it up to her and that she really wanted to see her. Catherine told her, for the school's class trip, we'll be coming to D.C. and you can come and meet us at the hotel. Farrah told her, I'll come and see you. I wasn't moved because I didn't think she would show up. I told Catherine, don't get your hopes up. Catherine gave me the phone back and I told Farrah I would let her know when we were in town. Farrah's call was disturbing to me. It brought up a bunch of old, nasty feelings. But I should have expected her call. After all, I told Casey to give her my number. Catherine and I talked about the call. She said it hadn't bothered her to hear from Farrah. Catherine said she doesn't think about them anyway. Farrah implied she wished I would come home for high school. Really? I laughed. I really didn't care what Farrah wanted, I told Catherine. If you get in J. Williams College Prep, you know we're going to be staying here. She said, yes, I, I want to stay here with my friends anyway. When we went on the class trip a few months later, we let Farrah know we were in town so she could come to the hotel and visit Catherine. Besides, Catherine was having so much fun with her friends, I, I don't think she cared. Uncle Kevin and his wife Rita did meet us at, station, at Union Station, and we were both glad to see them. Kevin and I had put our differences aside from a few years before. We decided life was too short to hold grudges. When we returned from D.C., Catherine was in her refresher course for the Selective Enrollment Entrance Exam. After class, Catherine was talking to a girl named Jerry. They were talking about the different high schools. As we walked out, Jerry's father was there, and Jerry introduced us. We had a nice conversation, and as we were getting ready to leave, Jerry asked if Catherine could look at Wallace, at Wallace Paxton College Prep. I don't know. We'll see. That's where I'm going, Jerry said. Please, Catherine asked, can I go see it? Sure, why not? I said. In my mind, going to visit the school was just something to do because in order to get in, Catherine would need to score at least 290 on her entrance exam. The open house for Paxton Prep was the next Saturday, a week before Catherine was supposed to take her entrance exam. I told her we needed to be there by 8.30 because everybody in town comes to Paxton's open open house. Paxton had an average HCT score of 31 and the average GPA was 3.5. The school was ranked in the top 50 public high schools in the nation and they had won the National Blue Ribbon Award twice in the last six years. They sent out about 5% of their graduates to Ivy League colleges every year. Then about another 20% went on to what were called Little Ivies. These universities are as a whole, they're the best colleges in the country, and attending a school like Wallace Paxton allowed students a greater chance of getting into some of the best colleges. 
The best part was that it was a public high school. And in Chicago, to get this quality of an education, you had to attend a private school. And they cost $30,000 or more per year. When we got there, it was about 8.30 in the morning, and there were already 200 to 300 people in line. We saw four of the parents from Ellis Avenue and a few other people we knew. It was a good thing we got there early because we got into the school, because before we got into the school, at least another 300 people got in line. There were people in line just hoping to get in. I hadn't realized how powerful this school was. Everyone talked about Paxton Prep, and it was frequently featured on the news. Parents whose children hadn't gotten accepted were always complaining that the school discriminated against them. Some parents went as far as filing lawsuits. The politically connected would ask for favors from the school board. Parents would do just about anything to get their children into this school. I thought it had to be a special place. Once we got inside, we attended the information session, and then we walked the halls and met teachers. After about 10 minutes, Catherine met this wired student named Ethan. He was so high-strung and extroverted, just like Catherine. All of a sudden, they were talking about the school, and then they took off running down the highway. I looked around trying to find them, but it was too crowded. There had to be four or 500 students there and, and parents walking in the halls. I kept walking and said to myself, she'll be back. I talked to several parents and faculty members, and the more people I met, the more I began to like the school. After about 45 minutes, Catherine and Ethan came running down the hall. Catherine was yelling, this is where I want to go to high school. Ethan said, yes, this is the place for her. I said to myself, this boy is crazy. Then I found out he had scored a 36 on his ACT. That's a perfect score. Only about one half of 1% of people who take the ACT get a perfect score. He told me he was headed to Harvard that coming fall. I was impressed and and asked Catherine, are you sure you want to go here? Yes, she screamed. Yes, please, please. You know, you'll need to get about 30 more points to get in here than you need for Jay Williams, I said. I know, she responded. You don't need to worry about it, Daddy. I got this. She said with total self-confidence. A week later, it was test time, and I was far more nervous than she was. Catherine told me again, don't worry, Daddy. I got it. She went into her testing room, and some of us parents went to get something to eat. The test was three and a half hours long, so we had plenty of time to eat and just talk about how nervous we were of how fast junior high had gone by. We couldn't believe it was almost over. Catherine came out of the test with a huge smile on her face. I said, you must have done really well. She replied, I feel good about it. Now the really hard part came, waiting until the scores came back. We were told it would take about 90 days. I wondered why it took so long, and someone said, it's Chicago Public Schools, or as they say, it's the Chicago way. While we and everyone else were waiting for the test scores to come in, a parent council began to plan for graduation and end-of-the-year activities. There really wasn't that much for us to do because everyone wanted to do the same thing the school had been doing for years. That was cool with me. The less work, the better. Before I knew it, February had arrived and the test scores had come back. I was nervous when the mail arrived that day. There was a letter for Catherine. I knew I shouldn't open it, I sh- I shouldn't open it but I-, I just had to. It was an acceptance letter to Wallace Paxton College Prep. Catherine was out with Katrina and Shirley. I couldn't wait for her to get home to tell her the news, so I called her and told her she had been accepted. All I could hear through the phone was screaming. 
this had to be one of the happiest times of her young life. Catherine asked if she could ride with Katrina and her mother to see if she got if she got her letter. Sure, I said. Catherine called me back about 30 minutes later and told me that Katrina was accepted to Boston Prep. It wasn't Paxton, but it was one of the top 10 high schools in the state. She was a little disappointed because she wanted to be with Catherine, but she was pretty happy. After she and I told the other parents and friends, some were upset. Why? Probably because their children didn't get in. Others were angry because Catherine wasn't going to Jay Williams. Catherine and I had kind of made a deal with the principal, his daughter, and another parent that Catherine would go to Jay Williams with their children. But I decided to let Catherine make the choice where she wanted to go to high school. I tried to explain to the parents that I let Catherine make the final decision because she had to live with the school she would be attending. She had to be happy. It was about her being happy. Katrina and her mother were happy for her. That was important to us. They were like family. Catherine and Katrina were going to be close friends anyway. By the time graduation came, Catherine was at the top of her class. There was an aggressive competition for who would be valedictorian and salutatorian, among other awards. I didn't know how vicious parents could get when it came to these awards, but I soon found out. Parents were having meetings with the principal and the chief executive officer. The, they, the chief education officer had no say because her child was a candidate for the awards. I thought the whole thing with the parents was kind of ridiculous, but in a way, I understood. Two days before graduation, they announced the recipients of the awards. Catherine got salutatorian. I was proud, but I wondered what some other parents were thinking. Who knew? At that point, it didn't matter. Catherine was headed for success. For me, all that was important was that Catherine was focused on what she wanted and was determined not to let anything get in her way. I told her, in a couple of months, you'll be going to high school and you'll have new friends and new challenges. It's a part of growing up. Little did I realize I'd be growing up quite a bit also. As I think back, I believe I could have done a better job of raising Catherine. I wanted to, but a lack of money and many trials and tribulations made our lives turn out the way they have. So, so far, everything is working out just fine. Catherine thinks I did a pretty good job, and for me, that's all that matters. I know I've been I've been far more successful than I, I thought or than I ever imagined. So... I encourage all men who end up as single fathers, regardless of how or what the circumstances are, keep your children. You won't regret it. Don't give them away. You'll find a feeling of pure joy and true love just knowing you did the right thing. Most importantly, God will make a way. What I've discovered through this experience is children love and need their fathers, especially little girls. I was learning and I knew I'd be learning forever. In spite of all that we'd been through and what we've yet to go through, I'm truly enjoying raising Catherine. I'll have to wait to see how things continue to work out for Catherine and me through high school, but I have a feeling everything's going to be just fine as long as I continue to trust God and be there for her. Remember this. To a father, there's nothing dearer than a daughter. Euripides. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of HK Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine. Thank you so much for tuning in here to Carla Reads the Classics for this work. Um, I want to say at this point, uh, please stay tuned for the next classic. Uh, We get back to our more traditional classics after this. And up next will be Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and this is by request. So again, if you have questions or comments or suggestions, please do write to me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. And I also invite you to reply to the questions in the episode description. And thank you again so much for supporting Carla Reads the Classics. Until next time.